Hey everyone, and welcome back to Creator Coffee Hour. I'm your host, Salman Mood, and this week I spoke to the co-founder and CTO of Atomic Finance, Matt Black. Atomic Finance is Matt's third startup and is focused on the exciting world of decentralized finance and specifically creating financial tools and applications within Bitcoin. Throughout this episode, we tend to use some cryptocurrency-related jargon, so because of that, I've included some de- definitions and information if any of you get confused about certain topics or terms brought up today. My interview with Matt details the greatest lessons he learned from his first two startups, the importance of starting with why, having true conviction and belief in your ideas, as well as how he raised over $3 million in seed capital. If you've been enjoying the episode so far, please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and hit that follow button if you're listening on Spotify. If you haven't already, subscribe to our direct feed on Substack to receive our episodes before anyone else through the link in our Instagram bio. Anyways, let's jump into it. Thanks so much for joining me. Absolutely, thanks for having me. And I guess that, you know the first thing that we kind of just kind of just kind of dig into is you know, just give me a bit of a brief background on like where you're from. Again, you're coming from BC, and then your educational background, and then leading to some of the pro- products you've worked on. Yeah, absolutely. I guess a bit of background on me. Um, I'm I'm from BC, so I'm actually from a not not from Vancouver, from a from a small uh, town on Vancouver Island, about uh, three three hours north of Victoria. Um, so, you know, I, I grew up there, a small town, about like, you know, the valleys, about like six, 60,000 people. Um, and so it's a very, very small town vibe. You know, I guess the community is very, very connected. Um, I was always, you know, back in the day, I was always interested in kind of, um, you know, programming and development. I remember when I was in grade seven, you know, like, you know, going on different websites and just like right clicking and inspecting the element and, you know, <laughs> looking at the HTML and CSS code there. Um, so I was just always interested in like kind of like programming and development, like, you know, from way back. Um, and then I think like a little bit later on, um, you know, it, it was actually uh, kind of, you know, kind of similar to what I'm working on now. Um, it was actually my, my, my dad that actually got me into Bitcoin. So he's kind of like this, um, uh, I, I guess you call it like maybe an, you know, an anarchist, like, you know, doesn't trust the government, uh, has gold underneath his bed type thing. Um, and so Bitcoin was kind of like the, like the perfect, um, the perfect kind of tool for him to be able to, you know, um, kind of hedge against, uh, you know, the, the government fucking up, you know, <laughs> so, uh, which, which is perfect. Um, and so, and so that's how I got interested in Bitcoin back in the day. I actually didn't, you know, uh, I, I was just kind of playing around with it back there, you know, trading it here and there. Uh, didn't really do much with it back in like way in 2014. Um, and, and was mostly just like more interested in like kind of entrepreneurship and building things to solve problems for people. Um, it wasn't until a few, few years later that I actually got back into to Bitcoin and kind of what I'm working on now. So, so like even touching on, you know, where you're from and the community you're surrounded, you surrounded yourself with leading into your first venture, like you know, speak to that kind of how that community kind of helped you get into entrepreneurship. Yeah, absolutely. So it was, well, this, this, the, um, the idea itself for like kind of the, um, I guess the, the business that I was interested in, in creating was really just to solve a problem. So it was, you know, I was sitting there in class in high school, grade 12, and, uh, you know, I wasn't listening to the announcements. No one else around me was listening to the announcements. Everyone's sitting there, you know, just reading on their phone, essentially. And I realized, uh, you know, wh- why can't we get announcements on our phone? Like, wh- why isn't there a way for us to be able to, 
um you know <laughs> everyone's on their phone anyway why can't i just get notifications rather than need to like read a piece of paper um and so i, I started this this um idea called just an app called a notive allowed for like administrator to put like announcements uh, and send like you know uh, notifications to students letting them know like kind of what's happening whether you're in grade eight or you're in grade 12. um i got started with we are uh yqq it's it's basically a um it's kind of a it's not really an incubator but just like a community of like businesses um in it's, it's called uh it's in a place i used to live in a place called like the comox valley so it's it's for um uh, it's for businesses in the comox valley like whether you're you know, like a local coffee shop or you're an entrepreneur trying to create a business like they just try to bring everyone together and kind of figure out like resources that can help ev everyone out so you know if you're someone who's starting a business and you need graphic design well you know there's someone in the community that can help you with that or if you if you need help with development well there's someone um, you know, that can help you with that. And so that's kind of how, um, how I got, I, and the way that I got connected with them actually was I was, um, I was, I was working on, um, actually, um, uh, on this Inotive project and just really trying to, um, you know, get into various schools, et cetera, et cetera. And I got connected with, um, uh, kind of the, the head of like, we are YQQ. And he said, well, you should be part of like the community and you should be part of the discussions. Like, let's see, um, let's see, like, how we can help you and how you like you can help everyone else as well and so i just started getting you know connected with that community and i think it's really great to be you know connected with different um like entrepreneurs like no matter where you live because um you'll learn a, like a lot of things like so that was my first like opportunity just to like kind of network with um you know kind of fellow like-minded people that were you know working on cool things and so um and yeah i think like it really it really taught me just the importance of like uh, i guess networking and meeting like fellow founders and just like learning like of their experiences and like, you know, what can go wrong or what should you watch out for? Like, those are just essential things that, you know, when you're starting out, you're just not going to know. With a notive, you know, you're a student going in and going into organizations, whether it be schools, I, I, I'm not sure what other organizations you worked with, whether it be nonprofits and the such as well, but, you know, going in and actually pitching your product, um, especially at such a young age, like how did you go about that? And did you have anyone to kind of lean on in those types of circumstances to kind of learn from? You know, when I was creating a notive, like way back then, it was, I, 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 of course, just started at my own like high school. So it was a situation where, um, hey, uh, I, I, I want to solve a problem. I knew I knew everyone at the school. I knew everyone there. And so going in there and saying, uh, you know, kind of pitching it to like the administrators there saying, hey, like we should have this. Uh, I, like, hey, I've, you know, I'm building this app um, that will like solve this problem. Um, it would be really great if, um, you know, like we could implement it and and uh, and, and have students, you know, utilize it. And so um, I, I basically just, you know, pitch it to the administrator. Um, and then, you know, they started using it. Um, uh, so that, that was really, that was the first step, right? It was, it was kind of like, Hey, like, what's your, um, what's your like initial, what's the initial community that you can start with that you can really push out this, this product to, um, after that, um, you know, once, once that kind of got established and I, I had a bunch of people using it, then, then I, then I actually worked on like actually talking to, um, you know, other schools and, and, and working on getting, getting kind of the program in, into them, uh, into their, uh, their schools. So I, I think like one thing that, uh, I, I was a bit naive with at the at the time, like, you know, being like an early entrepreneur is like, I think you really need to, um, you know, understand uh, what is your like initial like target segment that you really want to focus on. And in that instance, you know, with something like a note of, um, I was I was essentially just trying, trying to go out and solve a problem for myself. Um, I think one thing that I could have done like a lot better is actually gone and done a lot more market research. Um, so, you know, going and talking to administrators, talking to teachers, talking about like, what are the challenges that they run into? Because 
uh, I came to them for this from a perspective of like, hey, I'm a student and I want to solve a problem for myself. And here's how I want to get that information. But not necessarily thinking about like, oh, um, you know, what systems do they have in place already? And do they want to change those systems? And um, so I think uh, that's one thing I could have done a lot better. Um, regardless, you know, I, I, my naive self, I still went out and, uh, you know, talked to all these different schools um, and uh, I basically just, you know, try to pitch them on like, hey, you can get like announcements to your students, get more engagement. Um, here, here's, here's what we can provide. Some of them actually did go and like implement it, but it was a very like, it was a very like difficult, difficult road to um, kind of getting any of them, any of them to use it. And even when they did start using it, it was, um, you know, kind of very, uh, very limited. Um, and so I, for, to be honest, on my end, I really should have, you know, done more market research. And I think in general, like if you're creating a startup, like you need to be, you need to be doing it full time. Like um, if you're, I was just doing it kind of as a side project on, you know, on the side and kind of, you know, learning in the process. It was really for me to be able to learn like how to, how to program an app, create an iOS app and an Android app, and then, you know, push it out there and, and see if people liked it. Um, but I, I think like if you're, if you're really doing a startup, you need to do your market research and you need to, you know, be doing it full time. Otherwise it's really just going to be a, a side project, which is really what, what a note of was at the end of the day. Yeah. But were you okay with that? Like in the moment with it just being a side project? Like, what did you think the capabilities of this project really was? Like, did you think of it kind of big scale or you're kind of like, oh, this is a problem and it'd just be kind of cool to solve it rather than thinking of it as a, a segment of your kind of entrepreneurial journey, if that makes sense? Yeah. I mean, at the time, I definitely thought it, you know, of it, of it being a lot more. And, and I even got approached, like there was, there was an investor in, um, in, in Comox that kind of, you know, approached me, you know, uh, willing to give, 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 you know, just a little bit of funding to like get the idea started. And I obviously was thinking very big at the time I was thinking, Hey, you know, it'd be really great if, you know, this could be implemented in a you know, significant number of schools and this can be helping students to like learn how to, um, or, just, just helping students to you know pay more attention to what what's going on in their in their community and what's happening within the school body and so that's what I was really interested in is, is getting this into as many schools as possible I think I didn't at the time I didn't know that much about ed, ed tech um, and I also think I was thinking a little bit too broad I was thinking of like hey this can be a generic announcements platform whereas um, I, what I really should have been focusing on is more um, what is the specific target segment that I can start on and like really, really nail down and then grow from there. And so um, for me, I was obviously thinking like, you know, very large and I did not think of it as a side project. Looking back, like, you know, <laughs> I've learned a lot like kind of since those days. So, um, so I mean, there's a lot of like, you know, learnings and a lot of things I can look back on and say like, hey, I could have done this a lot better. And, and one thing, one way I think you can do that is by, by like re uh, reading a lot and like learning from like other entrepreneurs um, that have gone like through these things, learn from, you know, read the books of like, you know, what Sam Walton did with Walmart, what, um, you know, Jeff Blazers did with Amazon and what they really, you know, focused on and how they grew their businesses um, to figure out like, you know, like what, what I could have done better back in the day. But um, I mean, yeah, I, at the time I, I was thinking big, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, it was like, in hindsight, it was a side project. <laughs> Talking hindsight, I guess, like you've had a lot of early experiences that I think have impacted your entire journey, like starting with a notive, you know, you went to the global finals in Tennessee. Was that right? That's right. That's right. I don't know. If yeah. you, do you guys have have uh, do you, like Destination Imagination here in um, in Ontario? I'm not aware of it. I have, I've never heard of that before, so I'm not. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah, it's it's essentially a program for it, it's a, a program for teaching like um, students like create creativity. So um, if you want to, uh, if you want to get you know, as a, as a high school student, like if you want to get better at your you know public speaking ability or um, even being able to do improv or think on the spot, like it really tries to like, you know, teach you how to do those things. So they, what they do is they give out these challenges each year, uh, basically like, uh, learn how to, 
um, like they give it like a challenge. It can be like scientific. It can be um, more technical. Like they have different challenges. Some of them are improv challenges and you just choose one of them. And throughout the, the rest of the school year, you basically focus on that challenge. So I remember one, one year, one of the challenges was, you know, create these cars that are like six inches in length, length and, um, and, and use a bunch of different like propulsions to like, you know, um, hit the, you know, be able to go from like point A to point B basically. So you can use like gravity, you can use like, um, uh, like electric, like et cetera, et cetera. And so, um, and so, uh, you know, uh, and, and then the other thing that they make, they get you to do as well is to also, um, you have to perform like, um, basically a story about like what you're working on. And so that teaches like a couple things. It teaches public speaking. Um, and so what we were doing at the time is, um, uh, I, I learned a lot about like kind of uh, improving my public speaking ability. You know, I started in grade eight and I was kind of the shy uh, grade eight going to high school. And by grade 12, you know, I was <laughs> much more comfortable and like much more comfortable public speaking. And so uh, I think that's what really like DI was really great for is like, you know, uh, teaching me kind of those like um, those public speaking skills. Um, now, a note of was actually done as part of uh, a DI project. And it was kind of a way to force myself to say, um, hey, here's this challenge for DI that I want to do, um, which is um, do something like that's good in your community. That was one of the challenges. Um, and for me, it was, hey, um, what if I can help like the student body at the school? Um, and it was a great forcing function because it was like, hey, uh, you know, this challenge, uh, you need to go present at the, the regional competition in February. Um, you know, uh, you need to get you, you either get this app done or uh, or like you don't go to the competition, you know, <laughs> so it was a great forcing function to say, hey, uh, you know, you need to go and you need to learn like iOS development and Android development in the next like three months or else like, uh, you know, this isn't happening. So <laughs> so I kind of did that as part of the school project. And then later on thought of like, hey, maybe I can expand this into like a real business. Yeah. Like what would you say out of all your all your early experiences, which one would be your favorite? And I think you talk, spoke about DI and the impact that had on you. But, you know, what exactly did your favorite early experience kind of teach you about entrepreneurship and building a business? I guess early experience, I guess I guess a note of was really kind of the first the first one. And I think it really taught me. um taught me a, for a few things like uh, you, you might have an idea. Uh, so I, I think like, I think one thing that it really taught me was that um, whenever you're, you're, you're thinking of like, um, like creating a business, you know, um, the, the, the technical problem, like technically how to solve it. So like, how do you, how do you bring announcements to students? Okay. Well, that's easy. You just create an app. You, um, you know, you, you create the server on the back end and you like, you know, push notifications to them. Okay. Well, that's, 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 that's how you technically solve that problem. But I think what it taught me is that, like, even if the technical solution to a problem is very simple, uh, the actual execution is a lot harder. And um, and you really need to know, um, like, what what target you're segmenting um, and uh, like like who, who you're really solving a problem for before you go out and solve that, because anyone can go and build like, you know, uh, back in the day, if you wanted to, you know, technically, if you wanted to build Facebook, uh, you know, it probably wasn't that hard. You go and you spin up a server and. Uh, and you allow people to go on there. But but the harder problem was, how do you get users utilizing that product? Um, and so I think that's one thing that like, um, like uh, that kind of doing a note of really taught me is that um, like you can build it, but like, uh, but they won't necessarily come. So, you know, some people take the approach of build it and they will come, but that's not always the case. And so um, I think uh, it really taught me like the, the, the importance of like, like, I guess the, you know, the business side of things and, um, and, and really thinking about like uh, all aspects of the business rather than just like the technical aspect, which happens to be my background. Okay. And then how would you say that kind of 
impacted your next venture with Starspeak in terms of your approaching that problem solve kind of mentality and, and looking outwards at who your users would be? How did that kind of impact that process? Yeah, I mean, I think it helped me realize that uh, having uh, having a co-founder that does, you know, uh, I guess handles, the, you know, the business side of things. I know that's a meme, but, <laughs> you know, handles like that side of the like the business was, I think, something that was very important for me because I think my core competency are, are very like technical. So, um, you know, if I want to, you know, if I want to go out and build something like uh, like I can do that. But um, uh, always, uh, always thinking about uh, kind of the business thing, uh, business side of things, and how uh, who's who's the customer, who's the uh, what, what's the product we're building, who are we solving a problem for? Um, that really helped me, um, you know, kind of you know bring on. Like, I think like you know working with Dan Mall, <laughs> uh, who is my co-founder for uh, Starspeak, like uh, you know he uh, really helped me to kind of like ground and really think about those things. Um, and, and it was really great working with him because it was kind of a situation where. You know, we would we would sit down and we would talk about the product and we talk about like the customer and we would talk about who are we solving a problem for. So with Starspeak, what we were doing is, um, you know, we we actually did this as part of a, a competition. It was the uh, tech under 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 twenty, I think, competition. Um, and, and and you know, we just came up with an idea, which was, hey, you know, like to be honest, like I had a, a lot of problems with public speaking. You know, when I was younger, um, you know, what if we can. Uh, enable a way to allow for like, you know, students to be able to more effectively pu public speak. And what are the ways that we can kind of solve this problem? And we realized that there really weren't that many things out there. Like, obviously there's, um, uh, there's Toastmasters, but there really isn't any like, you know, tools that someone can just, you know, open up a web browser and just learn how to more effectively public speak. And so, um, you know, we were like, hey, uh, what if, what if we were able to, you know, effectively, you know, teach students how to public speak? Um, and 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 allow them to like uh, learn more effectively over time. Um, and if we can track all that information using machine learning, um, and, uh, and and we can give them like accurate results on like you know what what their public speaking ability is, then uh, then maybe we can make a really really great great impact here. Um, so that's kind of where we started with Starspeak. Um, and uh, and obviously like it was uh, you know it was, it was you know difficult to get started from like a technical perspective, but it was always also really great you know for me like realizing hey if I can have um, you know a co-founder that is able to you know really uh, focus on that side of the business, then uh, you know we make a really good duo. And me concentrating on the technical side and him concentrating on the business side of things, um, like you really need you really need someone that like really complements your skills. Um, and I think that's something really important to find in a in a co-founder. Um, you know, if you're starting a business. And then something that I realize is a recurring theme here is that with both with the Notive and Starspeak, we kind of, the spark of the project, although obviously you there's a problem that you, you found and you had to solve, but the kind of spark of the project kind of starting is a competition or something else that's kind of external. Do you think that boundary really kind of helped? And a lot of the time what young entrepreneurs face, like one of the largest problems they face is like action, right? They think of all these ideas, but it's all coming to action, actually putting them into into the world and actually starting it, right? So do you think being a part of these competitions, being a part of DI, that really helped propel you to move forward? You know, any advice to young entrepreneurs to kind of kind of create those boundaries so that they, you know, focus on action and less so on kind of thought process? Yeah, I mean, I think it really depends if you're a, if you think you're more of like a technical founder or a um, or business founder, or if you're, you know, both. <laughs> so like, for me, like, I think like as a more of a, a technical founder, like um, uh, going to, uh, you know, if you're not going to hackathons, like you should be. <laughs> and obviously it's a little harder now, like during, during COVID. Um, but, you know, things, things will go back to normal. And, uh, and obviously there's st still are like lots of hackathons happening. Uh, I think those really helped me. Like I used to go to a ton, ton back in the day, um, you know, uh, you know, Hack the North, 
um, or, you know, M hacks. And, and those were really great because, um, you know, we would always like sit there and we would brainstorm all these ideas, even during like the school year. Right. So like, um, but you know, when I went to, uh, I was, I was in the double degree program at, um, uh, Waterloo and Laurier. And so like, even during the, the school year, when we were just working on our courses, um, you know, I'd be talking to people about this idea or that idea. And I think hackathons are just a really great, you know, opportunity to say like, Hey, we're going for the weekend, like, you know, uh, to wherever place, whether it's, um, where it's Waterloo, you know, we're sleeping on the floor, you know, you, we wake up and you keep coding. And it's just like a really good forcing function for like forcing you to go out and actually, you know, um, just go and like build that idea or think about that idea. Um, so I think those are really good for like forcing functions for people. Um, if there's like a, I think on the business side, like, um, I mean, you probably have more experience with that would say like JDCC, like they give all like different business ideas and like how to solve them. So I think it really depends on what type of like founder you think you are. And, uh, and just finding those opportunities to really like, for, you know, force yourself to think about, you know, what are the, what are, what, what are the problems that I see around me? What problems do I experience? And, um, and, and then just actually going out there and doing it saying, Hey, I'm taking the weekend. I'm doing this hackathon or I'm taking the weekend and I'm learning this new thing. Um, I think that's really, really essential. So um, yeah, definitely, definitely check out, uh, check out hackathons. <laughs> you know, that on its own shows you, shows the importance of seizing opportunity, like any, any different opportunity that comes towards you, because especially when you're young, because they are, as you said, forcing functions for growth, for learning, not only let's say as an entrepreneur, but also just from development perspective in terms of what you want to do when you exit university in terms of you know developing skills and with numbers, just developing skills with strategy, developing skills with marketing, those different types of things. Whether it's on the more kind of technical side with hackathons or even stuff like case competition, solving kind of business problems, you know, those are kind of forcing functions for you to grow. And I think Again, it goes back to how important it is for us to be seizing seizing opportunities when we're young in order to achieve that growth. And so, yeah, we've spoken about Inotive, we've spoken about Starspeak, you know, which were which were two great, I say first ventures for someone so young. <laughs> Let's talk about, you know, your experience at UW and the people you're around and your co-ops. First, why did you pick UW? And we can kind of delve into your co-op experiences as well, if you'd like. Yeah, absolutely. So, it's you know, it's funny, uh, you know, why did I choose UW? Uh, well, I was obviously very interested in like you know um uh like programming and and um you know development and stuff and i was i'd been you know kind of doing some development since i was in you know grade seven at school and so obviously uh you know it was either uh, i could have gone to ubc i guess i've been a bit closer to home but for me like i always uh, i i knew that you know waterloo was well known for computer science and so you know it, it was it was kind of a you know no-brainer for me i really wanted to go there um, it was funny though, like as I was, you know, while I was still in high school, like building a note of, um, I mean, I recall like, you know, literally telling, telling my mom like, oh yeah, like, I don't want to go, like, I'm just going to work on a note of and build it into a business and all this stuff. And I think, um, you know, and, you know, and obviously like later on, like I, I dropped out and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and that was fine. But I think for anyone like thinking of, of like not going to university, like, uh, like, it, like, it's fine if you drop out, like, hey, at least, at least go like your first year, because I think you'll meet some really, really great people that you might not have met if you didn't go. Um, so I'm, I'm very like, grateful that my mom like kind of forced me to go rather than just like, you know, becoming an entrepreneur, like, hey, you know, right there with a note of because I've, I've learned obviously a lot since. Um, so so I, you know, I ended up going to Waterloo, I was in the double degree program, like computer science and, and business, because that's really the things that I was I was interested in, um, which was, you know, um, obviously that, you know, the, the business side of things like, you know, creating, creating a startup, um, which is, you know, kind of what I was trying to do with a note of at the time. And, and obviously the, the computer science, you know, piece of it. And so, um, I was, you know, to be honest, like coming from a really like small town, um, 
there was literally, you know, three people from my high school that went to Waterloo and none of them were doing, you know, computer science. I think there was, you know, literally two other people at my high school that went into computer science. And I know there's a lot, you know, that's a lot more common here in, here in Toronto, uh, in, in like a small town, you know, it's, it's not as, not as popular, not that many people are doing it. And it, you know, it's a very different, uh, different feel. Um, so, you know, just being able to come to Waterloo and be around like, like-minded people was such a, uh, and, and, and Laurie as well, like, you know, um, and, uh, you know, being around, being able to be around those people was such a, such a change for me and such a nice, um, like, like nice experience, um, you know, being able to just stay up to late hours of the night, like talking about like random ideas or this startup idea or this, this thing, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's the best experiences. <laughs> um, and so, uh, and so, yeah, I really enjoyed my, my time at, at, um, you know, at, at Waterloo and Laurier. Um, I, I know you, you asked as well about the co-ops. Um, my first co-op was actually with, um, with Shopify, um, which, uh, at the, at the time it was interesting, like me and me and Dan Mall had already, you know, kind of thought of Starspeak at the time and what we wanted to build with that. And then, you know, out of the blue, I got a last minute offer at Shopify. And so it was, it was this like, you know, kind of a heart wrenching thing where it was a decision of like, Hey, do I want to, um, stick with the job? Like I've got here in Waterloo. Um, I was actually going to be working at, um, just a, a startup that was down in, in Kitchener and, uh, and, and then on the side, like, of course, like really focused on Starspeak. Um, or do I want to go and take this opportunity at Shopify and, you know, uh, you know, which is like, you know, a, like a dream for a lot of people for the first co-op. Um, and so <laughs> I, I, I went with Shopify, <laughs> uh, you know, for better or worse. Um, and, and, you know, it's, Shopify is a really great company. Um, and they really try to, you know, get people to, you know, really learn how to, um, uh, they, they really encourage entrepreneurship. So like being an entrepreneur, like within the company, but to be honest, like my time there, like I always felt like a, like a, a cog in the wheel. Like I always felt like, um, you know, I, I want to be doing my own thing. And, and, and not that a lot of people don't enjoy their, their job at Shopify and, and, and people don't enjoy their, their job at bigger companies. Like, uh, but that was just me, you know, like I always wanted to be going and doing my own thing. And so it was, it was a really great experience for me to try that out and, and you learn what it, what it was like there. Um, but, uh, and on the side, of course, we were working on Starspeak, but I think like really, um, you know, being, you know, being apart from Dan Mall, like I was, I was in Ottawa, he was in Waterloo. I would drive all the way back from Ottawa to Waterloo, like on the weekends. And, you know, that's, that's a long ways, <laughs> you know, to do that. And, uh, and I think that really, um, you know, slowed us down in terms of like our, our development. And so I think like for um, my recommendation for that is that if you're like an entrepreneur and you, you've got like a co-founder, like make sure you're in the same place. Like it's really important for like, you know, the, the initial like founding team to be in the same place at the same time. Um, so yeah, but, uh, but it, but it was fun. <laughs> so you, you said how working at Shopify kind of confirmed your kind of belief that, yeah, of, of course it's great. You know, it's great. You know, that's some, that's some people's dream to like work for a big company and, and stay with that company and continue to grow with them. But you knew that wasn't for you. Do you think that was something that, was realized way earlier you know, starting with a note of or and, and it was just confirmed at shopify or did you going into that internship did you think okay maybe i could do this like maybe i could work for shopify and maybe i could work in the tech industry and not be a founder when was that kind of click for you uh at the time i was always thinking um i mean of course like going there initially i i thought maybe i could work you know work here like long term and i thought i also i also you know I, and i think shopify is a much more entrepreneur minded like place like uh you know compared to other like corporations <laughs> you know it doesn't have that corporate culture it really 
you know, does try to have like an open culture. And so I thought, you know, maybe this is somewhere as I could work. And then um, I think just being there and, 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 you know, funny enough, I actually did two terms at Shopify. So, <laughs> so I, I came back and I mean, after the first term, I, I thought, you know, maybe this is somewhere as I could come back to and, you know, maybe do an, another internship. Uh, but it was, it was always kind of wary in my mind and I was, uh, you know, I was unsure about it. Uh, the second time, the second time uh, I was actually a lot, uh, you know, I really found my calling more. I was, I was doing a lot more kind of crypto and, you know, Bitcoin related things um, my, during my second internship at Shopify. And there, I think it really just confirmed for me, Hey, you know, I, I, I had an okay time, you know, the first time being, doing an internship there, the second time, like it was really, it was really kind of a realization that, um, you know, I want to, I want to be able to go and like, you know, solve problems myself. I want to go and, and, and build something that, um, that I truly believe in, like, uh, that, that, uh, you know, I, I believe can change the world. Um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be working on like, you know, one piece of like one piece, um, one piece of the pie and like in kind of a larger organization. So, uh, I think, I, I think I realized like, uh, I think I realized, you know, a, a little bit from the first internship and a little bit from the second as well. So for me, looking, looking at you, right. I'm, I'm just kind of curious of your opinion on this. Do you think entrepreneurs, that's just kind of like a born mentality to become an entrepreneur, or do you think that's something that can be curated? In terms of those two things, like where do you think you kind of fit in? Because I think for me, looking at you, one, starting in web development, like I feel like you were destined to kind of do something on your own, right? Eventually in one way or another, like the way you're getting involved, the way you're putting yourself into these kind of forcing functions to have to push yourself to create these businesses. Do you think going through those things, like do you think that you have to be born kind of that way or do you think someone can develop and kind of become an entrepreneur? So I think, <laughs> so So for myself, I think I was always, I mean, I think I, you know, to be honest, I was always destined to be an entrepreneur, but I don't think that's necessarily the case for everyone. And I think a really good example of that is my, my co-founder. So, you know, he, in, in, when he was in high school, you know, he was the, he was like the good, you know, the good student, you know, getting like, uh, uh, well, well yeah, obviously, you know, getting like some of the highest marks in the class. And he was, you know, he went to Waterloo and he was always expecting to kind of do like a, uh, you know, get to nine, a nine to, nine to five job and get a, get a really secure job. And, um, and, and that, that was always the, you know, the, the vision that he had. Um, and then, then I come, come along and I wouldn't shut up about Bitcoin to him. And <laughs> now, now, you know, now he's, uh, you know, doing a startup with me. And so I think it really, it really depends. Like some people, some people are, uh, like for myself, like I'm always like, I always like, like, like new ideas and, and, and building things. And, and so I, I, I always felt like, you know, entrepreneurship was the path for me, but it definitely wasn't for him. He, he, like when, when we started, um, you know, it was just me and him and we both came from like more like technical backgrounds. And I just happened to have more experience with like the specific, the specific domain we were working in. And so he ended up taking on more of the business side of things. And at first, like that was really, um, that was really new to him and, and really, um, like uncomfortable, I think, I mean, and what he did over the course of like, you know, the past, like the transformation that he's gone through over the past, like two, three years has been like, you know, just phenomenal in terms of like, um, the amount the amount, like, you know, and I think that was because he's done a lot of reading, um, um, and, uh, and, and really, and, 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 and done a lot of networking and just gone through the process of like really learning what it is to be like an entrepreneur and how to change your mindset. And so I think that's, you know, I don't, I don't think you necessarily, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you don't need to be born that way. You don't need to be a person who's like done all these experiences that I have. I, I think my co-founder is like an example, a perfect example of that not happening and still being a really great, um, and still being really driven to, you know, build something. It's, it's really about, um, you know, wanting to solve a problem and like having, you know, conviction about a certain vision of like where where is the world going 
uh, over the next few years? And, and what is your, you know, impact going to be in that? And what problem can you solve for people, um, you know, in that? And so, so yeah, I'd, I'd say he's a perfect example of, of, of that not being the case. <laughs> that, that's kind of like where, I, where I'm at, kind of sitting on that fence there. But you know, yeah, you can kind of see stories going both ways. And I think, you know, they're inspiration, inspirational leaders and founders who come from both sides of the coin, I'd say. Let, let's kind of lead, I guess, into originally Atomic Loans, now Atomic Finance. I know a bit of the backstory about how you started and how, how you met Tony, but how about you, you again talk about, you know, how you kind of had that problem and how you kind of thought of fixing it and, you know, how that kind of happened. Because I think it's an interesting idea. Yeah. So like we were always, um, so I mean, before we even got started, um, you know, doing, doing kind of atomic loans, uh, we were doing, uh, I mean, we were doing, I, I first like went to a, you know, the first time I actually got back into crypto. So I first had gotten to crypto like, um, like back in, uh, back in 20, 2013, 2014, just cause my dad had introduced me into it. And he's like, Hey, like, I want to put some money in Bitcoin. He knows nothing about, you know, uh, he's not a technical guy at all. <laughs> and so I was just kind of, you know, trading, uh, you know, trading for him, like getting, allowing him to buy Bitcoin. And I got back into the space because of a hackathon that was happening at Waterloo. It was like, uh, it was the Ethereum hackathon that was going on. And, uh, you know, the, the founder of Ethereum was in town, Vitalik, of course, went to Waterloo. And I, and I, I just went to that hackathon. I saw, you know, it was just amazing to see kind of what was happening, what had happened in the industry in like the three, three, four years that I had been out of it. And so that's what kind of clicked for me saying like, hey, this is some really amazing technology that's being built. Uh, like, I, like I, I want to create something here, you know, <laughs> like uh, I want to I get more into this. And um, I, I already obviously believed in like the vision of what was happening in crypto, but I just wanted to get back in the game. And so... Uh, and so we started experimenting, like trying to think about like, you know, what were the different like problems like people were running into um, at the time, like I was doing an internship at, at Shopify. And so me and Tony literally like I was his roommate, you know, uh, he was working at Manulife actually. And so, you know, we would do our nine to five like internship uh, and then we would, you know, we would come back, you know, we would have supper. And then like the rest of the night, we would just be like coding and like working on various things like um, in crypto and just like learning about different stuff. Like I remember we we literally like we we're trying to think of like, hey, how can this like decentralized um, like blockchain, like solve problems for people. How can we solve like intermediation? You know, we literally can't, we literally wrote up a white paper on like, you know, decentralized Uber, which like, you know, in hindsight is like a ridiculous idea. But <laughs> um, uh, And so, and so it wasn't until actually that we were, um, it, it, and it just really came from like a need of us, like wanting to learn more about this. Um, so we, we did, we were doing our internships. And then after that, I decided to say, Hey, I really want to jump more into this industry. I want to build more. I want to like learn, like, what are the biggest problems that people are running into? So I ended up um, getting an internship at Consensus. So I actually took a term off school, uh, did an internship at Consensus. And it was during my time there um, that I really learned about, like uh, I started working on what's called atomic swaps. So it's basically the idea of being able to swap between one cryptocurrency and another. So in our case, it was like swapping between Bitcoin and Ethereum. And, um, and, and, it was, and I, I really enjoyed like that, that development work. And so I decided to do another internship at Consensus, take another, you know, <laughs> another, uh, you know, block off school. And it was at that time that me and Tony were like, hey, you know what? Consensus has an office in Toronto. We really want to be there with like the rest of the team. We don't want to, we want to be connecting with more like like-minded people. Uh, we at the time we were, I was just working at the Waterloo office and there really wasn't that many people that were kind of thinking about like the type of like development that we wanted to do. And so we decided to move to Toronto. And at the time, like, obviously we were, um, it, we were kind of fiat poor cause we'd been paying for school and whatnot. And, uh, but we had some Bitcoin saved up. And so we were in a situation where we were like, Hey, we don't want to sell our Bitcoin. 
um, you know, our landlord wants six months rent up front. What if we could, uh, what if we could just like access the value of that Bitcoin without selling it? And the only ways that we could do that is if we gave our Bitcoin, uh, you know, to a, to a custodian. So there's these services out there and they, they provide Bitcoin back loans. And what they do is they take your Bitcoin and then they give you a loan. But the Bitcoin is in their custody the whole time. Now, I had, I had a bad experience with like, you know, custodians taking my Bitcoin back in 2014, 2015, because uh, I was managing my dad's funds and we had put, you know, a small amount of it, 10% on an exchange called Cripsy. And a year later, the owner of that exchange, you know, got up and left, right? Like the money was gone. And, you know, I, I think we were part of some lawsuit, some class action against the guy, nothing ever got resolved. And it's, it's just, it's just a, you know, an important thing to know in Bitcoin is like, if you, you know, once it's gone, it's gone. You're never getting that back. There's no, there's no going, you know, going to your, your bank or, you know, and try to figure out, like tr trying to solve the problem, it, you know, it's gone forever. And so um, I was very wary at the time about like, you know, taking on a Bitcoin back loan using custodian. We thought, Hey, we're working on this interesting swapping technology between Bitcoin and Ethereum. What if we could build a product that allowed for people to be able to access the value of their Bitcoin without going and selling it, um, uh, taking out a Bitcoin back loan, just like, just like people take out a mortgage. Like, why, why can't I do this with Bitcoin? And so that's, that's what like um, actually started us thinking about atomic loans. We wanted to solve a problem for ourselves, which was this, uh, we want to access the value of our Bitcoin. Um, uh, but like, and, and, and people had already been thinking about this problem as well. Like people in Ethereum, there was already Ethereum backed loans that exist. There's already solutions out there that allow you to put in Ethereum as collateral and, and get access to a loan um, in, in the, what's called a stable coin and, and just be able to use that in your, in your daily life. But this didn't exist for Bitcoin yet. And so that's, that's really where Atomic Loan started is, is us wanting to bring this technology that existed for Ethereum um, and that existed centrally, centralized in a centralized manner with Bitcoin and wanting to bring it uh, you know, to Bitcoin. And when was this? Uh, in, in later 2018 or early 2019? Uh, I think it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was the fall of 2018 uh, that we were really thinking of this problem when we actually ended up moving to, to Toronto and, and, and really thinking of like how to build this idea. And it was interesting too, because we were, we were into interns at consensus, which is a, which is a, a very Ethereum focused um, company. And, and I was obviously working on swaps uh, at the time. And, you know, we really, really liked what, where this idea was going. And so we actually ended up um, you know, pitching to <laughs> actually pitching to my the team that I was interning for, um, you know, for for like funding and whatnot, and 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 for it to be incorporated as part of the product, and they ended up turning us down. We went to YC and we pitched uh, the idea. Uh, they turned us down, and <laughs> so you know, it's this process of like, hey, we think this is a really really great idea. Uh, we want you know, we want to go and work on this full time. Uh, we, I think we should like look for look for funding to like you know work on this um, uh, and. Uh, and so we pitched to the, those two. Then finally, um, Consensus was actually having like a basically a pitch competition, um, you know, to, for funding new ideas because you know every every kind of quarter they you know brought in like you know kind of you know new ideas and tried to like fund new 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 companies for that. And so we participated in the pitch competition there, and you know pitched the idea of being able to you know basically be able to access the liquidity that exists in Bitcoin and being able to do that in Ethereum and you know they really loved the idea and ended up get, uh, us get, giving us the initial um, kind of pre-seed funding to you know really start working on it full time. Honestly, I'm looking at it, I think it's a great idea, but like you in the moment, right? What kind of gave you the validation for this idea to kind of know that okay, yeah, this is good enough. I want to like I want this to be my full time gig at the time. Like versus like a notive and star speak, obviously though, I feel like those are kind of more primitive and smaller ideas, but you know, looking here, like what gave you that validation to be like, yeah, this is it. I want to turn this into full time. 
Yeah, I think I think it was the realizations, you know, um, you know, I, I, I always had a, you know, um, I was very fond of like, uh, like cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin and this the idea of like, you know, um, uh, you know, re replacing like the existing like financial system. I think part of it was actually going to a, a hackathon in in Denver that I went in back in you know February of 2018. I met some guys there that, you know, uh, basically introduced me to um, I, I'm, I don't know if you've probably seen the movie like The Big Short. You know, we literally sat there there in the hotel room and watched the big short and then compared this to what was being built and like the new financial system that we wanted to build. And it was kind of a situation of like, hey, like this is um, like what's being built here in this in this industry is going to fundamentally change how finance is done. Um, if I want to move money around the world, like there's there's ridiculous barriers that exist for doing so in the existing financial system. Um, the financial system, the bankers fucked up in 2008. And so like, why can't we build, um, you know, a, a, basically a better, better, better financial system. So I think it, for me, it was partly um, just being exposed to so many people that had so much conviction of like where this industry was going. And also for myself, like being really, um, really interested in, 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 um, in, in, in building, building something that would, um, that would really solve problems, not only for myself, but for other people. The other thing that really gave me a lot of conviction for this was, I think it was the timing of everything. So um, there, there's a term like uh, that, you know, some viewers might know it's called, you know, decentralized finance, you know, DeFi. Um, it, it, and the idea of it is being able to just build the existing financial tools that exist in the traditional system, but being able to build it in a manner where like anyone can access it from like, if just having an internet connection, you can get access to financial tools. And at the time, uh, just, you know, that there were some initial like protocols that were like in the process of being built uh, that, that allowed for like those types of things to happen. And those were all being built on Ethereum. And so um, what we had is we had a lot of conviction about this idea because we saw that there, you know, on, on Ethereum, the, you know, these founders are getting a lot of success for this. The Bitcoin market is even larger. And we're essentially like, we have a unique technical solution to be able to solve this problem and bring it to Bitcoin where we can uh, access an even larger market. Um, and so that's really where like the conviction came for us. Um, uh, there's, so those, those few market signs and, and, and obviously our love of being able to like, you know, work in this industry was really where we had the conviction to say like, hey, this is a really great idea. We need to like, uh, we need to spend the time now to do this. And the other part as well was things were moving fast. Um, you know, every, um, every little while there's like a new, new protocol that was coming out to like be able to solve a problem. And we realized we can go back to school and we can finish our degree, but we're going to miss, you know, this entire, you know, industry being built. Uh, and we're going to really miss out on that. And so it was a situation where I was like, we need to do this now or we're never going to do this. I actually know a couple founders in the cannabis industry. And I think it was the same kind of thing where everything's being created now, right? And if we don't start kind of hopping on getting into this and learning and creating, then by the time we graduate, then the industry will be created and we're going to be left behind. And we're going to have to, we're going to be the ones that are going to have to work for other people to, to work on those, these types of exciting things. So really interesting and, and really cool how you, how you recognize that as well. And then kind of moving up, scaling up throughout 2019, I guess, the two things that I really want to talk about, one is your capital raise. Because I think, mm -hmm. you know, you, ha you have a really, really cool business. I would say pretty, pretty revolutionary to, you know, traditional finance in terms of the idea. In terms of the growth and the scale of your business, how did it get to the point where, you know, you realized you have to, you wanted to raise additional capital and, and kind of going through that process, I guess? Yeah. So, I mean, we, we initially, so we, we pitched a consensus for our, like, um, uh, our, uh, our 
pre-seed, um, you know, investment. And we, we got 200 K from them and, you know, that, that, that allowed us to get started, you know, kind of pay, you know, pay our initial, initial salaries and, and, and really spend the time to like, you know, really develop the protocol. Um, we, we realized, um, you know, fairly early on that we would need to raise like, you know, fairly soon, obviously 200 K only gets you so far. Um, and if you really want to, um, you know, kind of go and, and build this protocol and, and, and bring on, bring on like the additional, like, you know, developers that you need, then, you know, uh, you know, we were going to need to raise. And so we, we actually made, um, in, in 2018, um, I believe it was, uh, maybe it was 2019. Yeah, it was 2019. So we, we brought on another developer to really help us be able to go and execute on the protocol. And, uh, at the time we realized, um, you know, if, if, if we want to, if, if we want to survive as a business, it's, it's going to take some time to get to, um, uh, uh, you know, to, to get to profitability essentially. And so um, we obviously saw that, that writing on the wall and, and, and essentially what our pre-seed funding got us to is it got us to a point where we said, Hey, um, you know, we've developed like the initial like elements that are involved in the protocol. We can do the initial um, uh, with, with every kind of protocol um, that was being done on Ethereum at the time, you need to do audits, which were quite expensive. So um, we did an audit on like the code of the protocol as well. So we knew we, we would be able to get the, the initial things like up and running. But if we really wanted to scale this, we knew that we had to, um, that we had to, you know, raise money. And so, um, and so at that time, it was just a situation of like, okay, um, how are we going to figure out how to like, you know, raise a seed round? Um, and, you know, neither myself or Tony, we didn't have any experience with this. It was like, you know, we're just like, you know, some young, we're a bunch of like, you know, uh, you know, 20, 21 year olds that were just like, you know, <laughs> trying to raise money, trying to create a startup. And so, uh, and it was partly also our existing investors. I mean, like consensus, you know, helped us with the process as well, because they had invested with us at this point. And they also, you know, gave us a lot of advice saying like, hey, like, you know, people are raising right now. Um, you know, if, if you guys, you know, want to kind of, you know, build for the long term, you're probably going to need to raise like a seed round. You should start thinking about this now. You need to start thinking about raising six months ahead of time. Um, and so, um, and so, you know, we, uh, Tony in specific, he read a lot of books, you know, learning how to raise um, a lot of videos, um, like, you know, how to go through this process, talking to people like existing founders about their experience, like going through the raising process. Um, and so that was like incredibly helpful as well. And so, uh, and so basically at the end of like, you know, 20, uh, near the end of 2019, um, we learned from a lot of people as well, like, you know, from that have gone through YC, that if you really actually want to go and raise a round, like you need to be down in, you know, you know, you need to be down in the, in the valley. Like you need to be in San Francisco, you need to be talking to people um, and like meeting with them. And so we actually went and we lived, uh, <laughs> lived out in San Francisco for an entire month. Um, and, you know, we didn't really know like what was going to, you know, happen from it. We had heard of founders that had gone down there and they hadn't been successful. And so, uh, you know, we, 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 uh, we got a lot of intros, uh, talked to a lot of people, you know, read a lot of things. And, you know, at the end of it, you know, we probably, you know, every time, like for every one, yes, you get like 10, 20, 30 no's. Uh, we got, we, we talked to lots of VCs and, you know, oftentimes they won't even give you a no, they'll be like, Oh, we'll think about it. Or like, you know, come back to us when you have a lead investor. Um, and so every time you, you've got to go through all these no's to get, you know, to get a yes. And so we had lots of meetings, um, with different investors and many of them just, just felt like, you know, we weren't the right fit, um, or, uh, they had this problem with, with what we were doing. And, and, you know, that's, that's a learning process as well to, to learn about, like, you know, what are the, um, you know, how to talk to VCs, how to, <laughs> you know, how to have that conversation. Um, and, you know, eventually we finally, we finally got a meeting with, um, with Initialize, which, which, which actually led our, our seed round. And by that point we had already been through, you know, three weeks of like talking to investors and, and getting no's or maybes. 
Um, and, and uh, you know, we talked to the kind of like the one of the partners, um, partners there and um, he called a partner meeting and, you know, we, you know, we pitched a, all, all the partners that initialized and, uh, and we ended up getting our seed funding. But, you know, obviously, you know, if you're ever going through through a raise process, like make sure you do your research, really talk to existing founders because that, that's what really helped us in the end. Did you decide, okay, yeah, we're jumping in with them right away? Or did you have any kind of gut feeling that you wanted to talk to more VCs after that? Because my kind of question is like knowing when you kind of have a good fit with your financiers. Because obviously, yeah, it's one thing you're going around getting no's, 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 no's all the time. So do you just take that first yes? Or do you kind of get the yes and then evaluate fit and then move forward? Oh, you you absolutely need to vet like the, the investors that you, you go with. So we... Um... I mean, there was, there was obviously, there was, there were some that we actually like, you know, we talked to and we just didn't fit, you know, think we're a good fit for us. Um, so like with initialized, like specifically, like, I think like any investor that you're looking at, you know, um, you know, cooking in the kitchen with, uh, you know, it's, it's really a question of, um, you know, like, are, are they a good fit? Like, so what are their existing like portfolio companies? And, um, you know, what is, what is kind of like the vision for their fund? So initialized specifically, like they've invested in Coinbase, um, you know, they've invested in like a lot of like, uh, you know, larger, um, you know, lar- larger companies that have been ex- extremely successful. And, and a lot of, um, a lot of, you know, companies that are, um, uh, that, that, that have gone through YC. And so, um, for, for them, like uh, it was a process for us, like really just talking to the existing, um, like founders that had, you know, got investment from them. So they had, they'd invested in some Ethereum projects, some Bitcoin projects. And one of them in particular, like, um, uh, what was the name of, name of it? Uh, Stark, uh, oh, I can't remember. They've 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 since changed names. So anyhow, the founder of that one, they were they were kind of working on um, like basically atomic swap like technology. And so I was very close with that founder and and really learned from him uh, that uh, you know kind of what what initialized was like like as a um, you know as a fund and how they really supported their entrepreneurs. So I think that's one really important question to ask is like do they do they support their entrepreneurs? Um, what resources do they have? They have literally have like a media team that like helps, a, you know, if you're doing like a media release or you're releasing a product, they'll help you through that entire process. Um, you can be connected with all the existing founders that exist in that portfolio. So for us, like, you know, after talking to like a couple founders that had got investment from Initialize, we we're like, hey, you know, this is this is a really great fit. But I, I think, you know, anyone will tell you, like, if you're in the Valley and you're, you're getting investment, like people, people obviously shop around, um, you know, see if they can get like an better investment from somewhere. And that that's really, you know, that might just be for negotiation. Um, so obviously you don't, you don't say yes right away. <laughs> um, even though we got, you know, some advice from a founder to say yes right away, we, we negotiated a little bit and actually ended up getting a, um, you know, a better valuation for, um, for, for a higher raise, essentially, um, which was, which was great for us. Um, but, uh, yeah, d- definitely do your due diligence on, on investors as well and make sure they're a good fit. So this is more even just a personal thing. So I love pomp. Like I love the stuff oh, yeah. that he puts <laughs> out on Twitter. I listen to his podcast a lot. I have both his newsletter and his wife's newsletter. Like they put up great content online. Um, but what was his involvement in, in the round? And like, when did, have you ever met him in person? Yeah. Yeah. Funny, so funny story with pomp. So we had, we had just, so we had just, um, so we had just talked to initialize. We'd gone through the partner meeting and we flew back from, from SF. And then at that time, uh, we were looking like to, to have some more people like be part of the round, essentially. And um, uh, so we had some inv- angel investors and obviously Ken's consensus was like reinvesting. And uh, and so it was literally a, a situation where we we're thinking of like, hey, on our cap table, like we really want to have someone who has some like some media presence that can really help us in that arena. And so we actually asked like initialized. So we asked Gary Tan, who's one of the the, you know, the partners and founders of initialized uh, for, for basically like... Um, 
and uh, in, in, in intro to Pomp because we thought, oh, hey, you know, here's a guy, Morgan Creek. Uh, he's got like great press. I, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's on TV all the time for God's sake. He's the Bitcoin bull, like the Bitcoin <laughs> bull. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, he definitely has a really good, and you know what, he, he serves a really great segment in the Bitcoin community of being able to, to talk about Bitcoin to like, we, like we call them normies, but like people who aren't like Bitcoiners or aren't like hardcore, like people like being able to bring like your average person into Bitcoin and being able to understand why it's important. I think he, he does a really great job of that. And so uh, we actually got an intro from Gary Tan to Pomp. He literally got on the phone with us. Um, we had one call. He like asked us a few questions, and then he's like, uh, "Yeah, I'm in." <laughs> like he's like he's like, "Okay, let uh, like how uh, okay like how much can I invest in your round?" And then we actually didn't have enough space in the round because we didn't want to take up like too much equity, right? Because we we're already getting a large like portion of capital from from initialize and. Uh, and we were getting reinvestment from consensus. And so he, he was like, he was like, oh, I want to put in this much. And then we were like, oh, no, no, we have to shrink it down a little bit. So he's like, this is literally the least I've ever invested in a startup. So <laughs> we felt a little bad for him, but I'm sure it'll be part of uh, future rounds. But that, that was literally our involvement for Pomp. We had one call with him and then he was in. And, uh, and from there, he's been, he's just been, he's a super helpful guy and, and understanding like what's happening in like the macro environment and like also how to, how to build a product and really get like the word out there about it. And so he's been incredibly helpful for, um, for us in that aspect. I think overall so far, at least one of the key takeaways I've taken from talking to you is how important just the people that you're around and the network that you have around you are in terms of your growth, not only for your business, but also like what you want to be solving, that kind of thing. Like your decision process on being a consensus in Waterloo and realizing that, oh, more like minded people are in Toronto for the idea that I want to be solving to make that switch. And even now, like knowing, oh, okay, like if it, we really want to scale and grow our business, well, we have to go to San Francisco because that's the place where I need to be. That's where the the, the people for me to make the next step, that's where they, where they are. And I think it just goes back to the importance of your environment. I've talked about this with other founders before, but the people that you're around, the content that you're consuming are so, so, so important for your growth. Again, as a founder and just personally too. And I think you're a massive example for that. So moving forward in 2020, I want to talk about kind of your pivot and the difficulties that might have come from this. And I think I would say I'm a normie, but I think like... <laughs> Uh, as someone like you who's in the industry, like there's, you know, I mean, even just looking on Twitter, like there's a lot of backlash going both ways of, you know, people who are like Ethereum believers and people who are kind of like Bitcoin believers. So could you kind of like, kind of like talk about that and maybe like the polarization that's kind of like involved? Because I think it one, it's kind of unique to crypto. I, I guess you could see some of it, like maybe like Android versus Apple. But I think mm. in terms of this case, you know, you have people that are really hardcore on both sides and how that kind of impacts how your business is kind of run. Yeah, I think I think you have polarizations like like generally that occur like in a lot of different industries. Like you mentioned, like iOS, Android. I think like Republican, Democrat. Like you know, there's there's polarizations that exist like in every industry. I think in our case in particular, um, you know, you you have a situation where you you have people in the Bitcoin industry that have been there since uh, 2010. You know, they they saw like the creation of Bitcoin and they saw you know they they, they saw like what was involved in the process of it, and then um, you, you know I I think what I think I think really what it comes out of is um, Bitcoin has a certain like certain sets of like beliefs, right? Um, if uh, you know Bitcoin, uh, the idea behind Bitcoin is like don't trust, verify, right? Like if you're if you know in, in in the existing system, you have to trust like a third party to do anything. Like I want to send money, maybe I send it to you through PayPal. I'm trusting PayPal to do that. Um, Bitcoin is trying to create like an entire like. Um, a platform where where people are able to send money without 
and being able to easily verify it without being, you know, without needing to trust, you know, a third party. Um, Ethereum, but, but I think the challenge with Bitcoin is that like it moves slowly. And so like people are very conservative. Like if you're building money, you can't have that money change a lot, right? Like, um, I mean, we're experiencing this today with inflation, right? Like the value of our money is, is, is going down with the money printing that's going on. Like with any monetary system, it needs to be, you know, a solid foundation. Now, the, uh, now the view of like in the Ethereum community is more that, um, we should build like networks where people are able to build things easily, which is how like Ethereum came about, you know, back in the day, Vitalik was like trying to work on things with Bitcoin. He wanted to build like, um, he wanted to build more with it. He wanted to build like what was called color coins, which is just like tokens on Bitcoin. And the Bitcoin developers didn't like it at all. Um, they wanted uh, it to be Bitcoin only, like Bitcoin to be the only currency, like Bitcoin is king. Um, and uh, and and meanwhile, like 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 Vitalik just wanted to go and build more things. And so um, like Vitalik and of course the founding team of Ethereum went out and and they built built Ethereum. Um, they uh, you know they had an initial like presale for it, um, and and you know people got on board and, and wanted to build more things with it. But the Bitcoin community has never like, you know, really looked like favorably on, on Ethereum. And I think the reason why is because they uh, is because there's this concept of like um, a Bitcoin culture fit is kind of the way I like to describe it, where uh, uh, th like things, things that involve like printing money, like like uh, so Bitcoin is like obviously like there's a 21 million cap of Bitcoin that like there's only 21 million that will ever exist. Um, whereas in Ethereum, they're, they're fine printing more Ethereum, right? Like there's no cap on it. So I, I think like really what, what, what happens here is like you have, and I think it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's really a difference between like, I don't know if you're familiar with like Austrian versus Keynesian economics, but um, essentially the ideas between these two camps is one says that like, uh, like money should, like things should be scarce and you should, um, like the monetary policy should be set in stone, which is what Bitcoin is. And in Ethereum, it says things should be more fluid and more simple um, and more, more um, no, sorry, not more simple, but more similar to the existing financial system. Um, and we're fine with taking like shortcuts and having like, you know, this centralized party here or this centralized party is here, as long as overall it, it's, it's fairly decentralized and people are able to access it, um, you know, just with an internet connection. So I think that's where really like the two different camps live. And um, a lot of, you know, a lot of Bitcoiners just see like Ethereum as like an, a reincarnation of the existing financial system and they're trying to build something different. And so I think that's where like that polarization comes from. Taking what kind of atomic loans was built off, I, I don't know the intricacies of it. I, I so I think was it built off of the Ethereum blockchain? Was that? Yeah. So so what we did actually was um, so at the time like before that I was working on like atomic swaps between Bitcoin and Ethereum, and so the idea there was, hey, um, how can we swap from um, from a Bitcoin asset to an Ethereum asset without an intermediary in the middle, without without um, without having an order book, without having an exchange, without having to give custody away. And what we did actually with atomic loans was we built on top of that, saying. Hey, what if we're able to use this a similar locking mechanism for locking that Bitcoin, and we can go and lock that on the Bitcoin chain, and then essentially we can have a lender that lends out um, a stablecoin. And, and a sta for those that don't know, a stablecoin is just a token on the Ethereum blockchain, um, or a token in general that basically you know either represents like one U.S. dollar or one Canadian dollar, whatever it is. And so we had, you know, the idea was to have lenders basically give out these, these stable coins and allow for people to get access to it. And what was novel about this was that before, like one of the challenges with Bitcoin is it's very difficult to work with. The scripting language is very limited and that's, um, 
uh, that's, you know, that's, uh, you know, it's not a bug, it's a feature, <laughs> as they like to say. Um, but, uh, but it means that it's very difficult to work with. So if you want to build like Bitcoin backed loans, um, just with Bitcoin directly, like it doesn't have the scripting capabilities to be able to do that effectively. Um, and so uh, what we wanted to do was like do a hybrid. So we said, hey, a lot of people are using stable coins on Ethereum. Let's allow people to lock their Bitcoin on the Bitcoin chain and be able to get access to um, Ethereum stable coins so they, that they can do things in like the DeFi environment. Um, and so that's, that's really where we got started. What, I think one big mistake that we did like in the process was we didn't do enough like customer research. Uh, so I, I'll give you an example. Like for the product we're doing right now, we literally did like 50, uh, we talked to like 50 different like potential customers um, in like that, that are in, um, a particular like customer segment to learn about like what are their problems today and like what, what, what like, uh, you know, what issues do they run into with their Bitcoin to be able to like have a really good uh, understanding. For us, we took, we took this from more of a technical perspective, which I think is a fault of like a lot of people in the Ethereum industry and saying, hey, like this is being done really well in Ethereum. Let's see if we can just bring this to Bitcoin. So it was a very like simplistic approach, but um, I don't know, like it, it definitely wasn't like like the, like the right like the right approach to take from like a business perspective. What made you realize that you have to had to make this kind of pivot from the loan system that you had to what you're working on now, like starting with atomic odds and and moving forward? Like, what was that kind of again, kind of that click that made you think, okay, we have to pivot because this is the better way forward? Yeah. So I think I, I so I think it was two things. Um, I, I actually I think it was a couple of things. Um, so number one. Um, uh, we were, we were, we really weren't getting the traction we wanted to see, like as, as, as much as we wanted to with, with atomic loans. And I think partly that was because, um, the actual like user experience of it was very difficult to utilize. You literally needed to have like, you know, a Bitcoin, like hardware wallet, like a little, literally like a, like a, you know, a, uh, an external like device to be able to like use the product, which was like a real, really cumbersome for a lot of people. Um, and, and we were really in like, you know, between a rock and a hard place, like, um, we had like Bitcoiners didn't want to use our product because it included Ethereum and Ethereum people didn't want to use our product because they were fine with like, um, you know, custodial um, wrapped, you know, uh, wrapped Bitcoin on Ethereum. And so it was a situation where we were like, we weren't fitting into either camp. Um, and so, uh, and th so that was part of the reason. Another part of the reason was um, a, a things were really moving in a direction in Ethereum that we really didn't like. So if you remember, um, some people might remember back in 2017, uh, the ICO boom of like Ethereum, which basically what, what an ICO is, it's this initial coin offering. And so what happened was um, all these different companies started like printing new tokens um, to like fund whatever their new idea was. Like we're going to bring electricity to Africa and they print a token, right? Like <laughs> just like ridiculous things. And all those tokens, 2018, like uh, most of them went to zero for God's sake, you know, like some of them survived, very few of them. And most of them went to zero. And what was happening at that time in, de in the decentralized financial like um, uh, realm in Ethereum was the token craze was happening again. So you had all these companies, like legitimate companies that I really respected for the past two years. Like there's one called like um, uh, Compound that allows you to, um, it's basically like a, uh, it's like a, it's like, it's kind of like a banking system on Ethereum, but allows you to like lock, you know, any asset as collateral and get another asset as a loan basically. Right. So like um, you know, collateralized debt agreements. It allows you to create them really easily. And all of a sudden they're saying, hey, uh, guys, guess what? We're, we're going to create a token for the purpose of governance. Um, and like, really, there was no need for this token to be created, right? It was, it was really just to like pay off the investors at the end of the day, in my opinion. And a lot of people are going to argue with me in the Ethereum community about this, but, you know, that's kind of how we, we saw it. And, um, 
And so we really didn't like the direction that things in Ethereum were going. And they were also, what they were doing is they were incentivizing people with these tokens to get them to provide liquidity. So these tokens, like these, these projects literally went from like, you know, maybe they had a hundred million dollars in total value locked. They start printing these tokens. Now all of a sudden they've got like, you know, a billion dollars in total value locked. And it's, you know, in my opinion, it's fake growth, right? Like it's, you know, you're incentivizing people for the short term to get liquidity onto the platform. Um, and, and so we really, and so we realized if we wanted to compete in this arena, we would have had to like, um, you know, print our own token. And, and that really just went through against all of our beliefs um, in, in like what we were creating. And, and it goes against really like the Bitcoin ethos as well. Um, and we just decided to, you know, as a team, uh, you know, we, we, I literally remember we sat down there and I don't know if you guys, like, if you've seen this, like um, start with why uh, Simon Sinek. Yeah. Um, yep. You've seen it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. What, what did you, what did you think of that? Like start with why, what did you think of the video? Like his TED talk or yeah, his, his TED talk or his, yeah, he has, he has a few videos where he like talks about start with why. And he does like, like draws a few sort of, I, I love like Simon Sinek is, I think that was one of the first, like, you know, the kind of like in that self-help field books that I ever read. Yeah. I, I love it like that. And um, like, I just recently picked up the the latest book that he put out. I, I had, I watched a, I watched a web chat that he was on. Um, but I think it's an important ethos that applies literally to, to, to most things. I can't remember the specific graphic that you're talking about that he drew in the TED talk, but. Yeah, he, he drew this graphic, which is basically like in the middle. Like, um, so he, he talked about it, like we're Apple and we, uh, we build uh, like a mate, uh, like amazing, amazing, uh, amazing computers with the best hardware. Uh, they have the best processors. They work fast. They'll get your work done. Want to buy one? Versus, uh, we like to think differently. We like to challenge the status quo. And we happen. We just happen to build great computers. Want to buy one? You know. And so it was uh, it's that flip. It's that flip, right? Of like, like people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. And. Mm -hmm. What we realized was like what we had built with atomic loans was a, a solution to a what problem. It was there doesn't exist non-custodial like Bitcoin back Bitcoin back loans. Uh, so we're gonna build that. It wasn't uh, it it wasn't like we believe in like the like the properties of Bitcoin or we believe in like we believe in this future and we have conviction about this future. It was it was solving a what problem. And so we sat down there and we realized uh, we, we literally sat down and we watched like the Simon Sinek video like Tony brought it up for like the whole team. And we sat there and we talked about, you know, what, what do we really believe in as a team? Like, where do we think that, um, like in the next like five, 10 years, uh, what should this industry look like? And what are the tools that should be built? And what should the future of Bitcoin really be? And we realized that like, uh, you know, Ethereum really didn't fit in that picture anymore. And that uh, what we really wanted to build, we always wanted to build financial tools for Bitcoin. And we just happened to be building on Ethereum in order to solve that problem. But it, we realized that if we really wanted to like, um, like salt, salt, like enable financial tools for Bitcoin, like we were going to have to build them in a native manner and it wasn't going to be easy, but that it would, uh, like if you're, if you're building like Bitcoin, they often call it sound money. Um, and the reason there's a lot of reason for what sound money means, but it just means like, um, uh, money that has certain characteristics, you know, there's only 21 million of them. Um, you know, it's not changing anytime soon. No one can like come in and interfere with Bitcoin. Um, but if we're building sound infrastructure for sound money, um, like we can't be building that on Ethereum, which is not like sound infrastructure. Um, uh, and, and there was a lot of, you know, there's, there's a lot of reasons for that, including like, you know, kind of like the programming language that exists in, in Ethereum, the, the various hacks that were occurring. 
And so we realized that we needed to go back to our roots and really understand what, like, what was going on in Bitcoin. And that's why we decided to make that pivot um, to focusing on Bitcoin only. And we knew that we would have um, you know, a bunch of core supporters um, that really believed in us because uh, there's, there's this really you know, core group of Bitcoiners that you know, believe in you know, sound rich infrastructure for sound money and want these to build, be built natively on Bitcoin. And they've had to compromise for the longest time. And so that's where really where we really came back to, and, and we just decided, decided to like start with why, and that's that's a big reason why we made the pivot that we did. That's so interesting, because <laughs> obviously, like I, like I'm I'm aware I just I just didn't think of that on kind of a larger scale, and like again, just looking at the kind of problem fit. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it I think it's also like related to like having conviction on like where the industry is going, um, and. And so, uh, and, and, I, and I give the example of like, um, of like Netflix, like way back in the day, they used to like sell DVDs and like that was 98% of their sales and 2% of their sales was like rentals. And, but they, and, and so like a normal person would say, hey, we're gonna like focus on the thing that's making us 98% of the revenue and we're just gonna go and focus on that. But what they realized was like the future of their business should be focused on rentals because there were higher margins. There was like way more opportunity that they could tap into. And so they decided to pivot and take like the part that was like only 2% of their business. And they decided to completely focus on that, which to a normal person makes no sense. But I think whenever you're building a startup, you need to have conviction, not only where the world is today, but where the world is going. And uh, I think that's what we realized is that like long-term, if we're thinking, if we're taking 10 years, 20 years, 30 years in the future is, is, is like, Financial infrastructure for Bitcoin going to be a hybrid system that's between Bitcoin and Ethereum, or is sound infrastructure for sound money going to be built on sound money? And so, like, that's where it really clicked for us and saying, like, this is what we want to, this is what we want to focus on, and this is what we believe in. Like taking a step back mm-hmm. and just looking at things from a larger perspective, looking at the growth and where you kind of see things. I think we we get kind of too lost on what the problem is and like how I'm going to solve it, rather than actually looking at one, like who the customer is and how that kind of solves that problem as well as to where the industry is kind of moving towards and what our vision and beliefs are in, in that methodology. Mm-hmm. And I think those are like some key takeaways that any young founder can kind of really, they have to really think of before just jumping into and solving it at, at service level. Well, and I, I was just going to say like, and I think it's as well, it's not just about like solving a problem. It's like, why are you solving this problem? It's like, um, you know, like what, like, why is this important to you? Because people like whatever you're doing, they will they will buy your story they will buy like the reason that you're that, that you like believe that things should be a certain way it's like apple like apple you know steve jobs believed believed in the personal computer he believed that every person should have like a personal computer on their on their desk and they should be able to use that and it was a it was a they should have a tool for the mind on you know on every desk and uh you know in our case we believe that like every person should be able to get access to financial tools without having to give up custody of their bitcoin they should be able to retain the core properties of bitcoin um like, 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 why do all these people buy Bitcoin, which has like the best, like, you know, the best properties in the world, it's censorship resistant, um, like no one can take it away from you. There's only 21 million of them. It's scarce. And then you're going to go and you're going to put it like with a custodian where like it loses all of those properties. Um, so I think you really like whatever you're doing, you just need to have really like really have conviction about it, about where it's going. And, and people need to know and they need to hear like why you're doing it. Um, I, I, I think that's that's yeah, that's essential. What, what do you think the next steps are for you, Tony, and, and, and the rest of the business, you know, going into 2021 and 2022 next year? Yeah, absolutely. So I think like where we are right now, so we, um, so we, <laughs> that summer, you know, last summer, we, we, we had that conversation of like, why are we doing this? And then 
and, and basically what we found was like, there was a lot of like kind of um, key, uh, key technology that was being built in the Bitcoin space, key primitives that like we could utilize to be able to create financial tools. So what we started doing immediately was start like testing those out and like creating a few like mini products. So we actually created a, a betting, betting product for people to be able to bet on the election using Bitcoin. That was you know, done in a completely non-custodial manner. And, uh, and so where we are right now actually is like, we, we've just you know, kind of wrapped that up. We've wrapped up that initial test that we did. Right now we're working on, um, working on like, uh, like our latest product kind of for Bitcoiners, um, which is for them to be able to go and, and be able to get access to yield on their Bitcoin um, using options actually, um, built in a completely non-custodial manner. Um, uh, so that's, that's really gonna be the big thing for us this year. Um, you know, we've pivoted a little bit from like our initial Bitcoin back loans and Bitcoin Ethereum to like, hey, we're now doing, you know, an app that allows people to make yield on their Bitcoin. Um, but like the, you know, the, the under, underlying principle of building like sound financial infrastructure for sound, you know, sound money, like hasn't changed at all. And we see this as kind of like the first step towards, towards doing that. So that's going to be launching, um, launching uh, probably we're doing our early beta actually um, March and April and then uh it'll probably probably uh early, early may you can expect us uh you know to be to be live so uh it'll be exciting and if people wanted to reach out learn more about you or reach out for advice for learning any advice on going through this entrepreneurship path where can they find you where were where you most active on yeah most active on twitter uh, i think uh, you know bitcoin twitter is quite uh, <laughs> quite prominent um so yeah you can you can reach uh, uh atomic finance at atomic finance and then i'm just on twitter at uh, matthew j black Thank you so much for listening to this awesome episode of Creator Coffee Hour. I hope you learned something from this recording because I definitely did. The world of DeFi and crypto continues to grow and become more and more relevant every single day. And it's amazing to see what people like Matt are doing within the space. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Creator Coffee Hour for weekly updates and some awesome content. To receive our episodes the instant they're released, subscribe to our Substack through the link in our Instagram bio where you can subscribe to the email feed. Thanks again for listening. See you all next week.